church family, you're finding the book of John. John chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 43. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, a lost man indeed. A lost man indeed. John chapter 1, we'll begin to read in verse 43. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're beginning to read in verse 43. The Bible says these words, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us, challenge us. God, I pray that you'll convict the lost of where they stand spiritually, their need for you. And God, I pray during the time of invitation, as during this message, God, they come and they see. God, they'll choose to turn and trust Christ today to be Lord of their life and declare him to be master and ruler of their life. And God, I pray you'll continue to show the church family, every disciple here, that each of these passages that someone might say, well, that's just an evangelistic text. God, I pray you'll help us to see that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Every one of these texts, God, are tools that we can put in our kit bag, God, as we seek to live on, mes on mission every day. These are passages of Scripture that we can share with the lost and invite them to turn and trust Jesus Christ. Burn these truths to our heart today. Invite us into your will for where you see each of us in need today. I pray you'll find us faithfully submitting our lives to you afresh and anew today. Bless this time. Be honored. Be glorified through it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you again um, to be seated. Well, last week, um, we saw the calling of Philip. And it is uh, the calling of Philip, uh, though just a few short verses, is a beautiful picture of salvation, plain and simple. Uh, today, this week, uh, we get to see the calling of, of Nathaniel, whom Jesus said in verse number 47, he was an Israelite indeed, um, but he was a lost religious man indeed. He needed Jesus Christ. And so John calls him by his first name, Nathaniel. The other gospel writers call him by his last name, uh, Bartholomew. So you might think, well, there's, who's the extra guy? There's not. Uh, it was Nathaniel Bartholomew, just like I had friends when I served that called me Chandler. That's all they knew me by. It was, it was, my name was right there. And so they would call me Chandler. Uh, but all of my family um, calls me Dad. No, they call me Chad. And so uh, this was Nathaniel, but the other ones called him Bartholomew. Uh, but it's a very interesting testimony of how he came 
to Christ. And, all, and friend, every testimony is interesting. You know, when I was a boy, um, you, you would hear from time to time, well, so-and-so's coming to share their testimony. And I, I hope you'll follow me on my heart on this. Uh, but it would always be some tragic story, um, you know, and, and I'm, uh, in, in, you know, adding to this a little bit. But, you know, it would be, you know, their parents lost them on a hike and they were raised by, you know, a, by a pack of coyotes. And somehow one day, you know, on a Sunday morning, they, they, they smelled, uh, you know, something coming from the church, somebody brewing coffee, and they heard, what a friend we have in Jesus. And they wandered into the church, and they got saved, and they were adopted by the pastor's family. Uh, but then, you know, they fell off into a life of drugs, and then were, were a roadie for a rock and roll band for several years. But then they experienced revival. Anybody know the kind of testimonies I'm talking about? It's like the only ones that ever get invited to church to share or like it. And then you sit and think, it's like, well, my life, how I came to Christ is nothing like that. You know, everybody's crying and ooing and on about the other one, but mine is so insignificant. Listen to me. There is no story of how a lost person that came to Christ that's insignificant. Everyone's story is special. Some may be more unique uh, or may be unique, um, but everybody's is special, and yours is no different, and Nathaniel's is no different. So it's a very interesting testimony of how he came to Christ. I want you to notice these things about how a lost religious man um, got saved. Uh, number one, I want you to notice that he was presented with Jesus. He was presented with Jesus. Well, Philip responded to Christ's call to follow him. Verse 43, just in review, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He wanted to go because that's where he was wanted to go. It was God's will for him to go there. And so he found Philip, and he spoke to him and said, follow me. So he found him, and then he called him. We know from the latter part of Acts 1, um, and then into Acts chapter 2, and the verses that follow at the birth of the church, that Philip was one of those individuals who tarried he was there at that first moment on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell. So we know that his following was real, unlike Judas, uh, who his following was not real. He didn't make a true profession and submission to Christ's Lordship. But Philip did, so he was, he was the real deal. Remember a very specific uh, verse as far as what God has called us to do. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse number 21. Jesus, as he's commissioning the apostles, says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Luke 19.10. We don't have to worry about why Jesus came to earth. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the mission that God sent him to do. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And that's for, for everybody. Well, I love these verses in James chapter 1. Follow me on this. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. You can write that in the margin of your Bible. But listen to what James says. It's very familiar. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, listen, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, listen, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He was a hearer, and then a doer of the word, a doer of the, the work. Well, in verse 43, Jesus said, follow me. Well, what did, what did Jesus done? Well, again, the Bible says in verse number 43 that he went and he found Philip. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, listen, 
to find that which is lost. Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save that which is lost. He went and found Philip. As the Father has sent me, he's going to say, so send I you. And so the, the Bible says in, in verse number 45 um, that Philip found Nathaniel. Jesus went and found Philip, and now Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. He begins to see what it is that Jesus has called the church to do, what he had called those early apostles to do. Is a picture of what he's called the church to do. And so Christ had so changed in just those few moments. Philip's life, we used the illustration last week, if you discovered the cure for cancer, no one would sit on it. Everybody would run and tell everybody what they had just discovered. Well, Philip had just discovered the cure for sin. And he wanted all of these friends who were dying in their sin to experience the cure for sin, for sin's penalty, sin's possession, and one day it's presence, that he had just. And so he was following Jesus already. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner and a follower. Jesus had said, follow me. And so he's going, don't miss it. He's going and finding lost people to invite to himself. And so Philip's going to go and find lost people and invite them to come and see what Jesus Christ can do for their life. I want you to listen to me. As a disciple, you're never closer to Jesus than when you're being the doer of his word. And we talked last Sunday night a little bit about how the, the Laodicean church became the Laodicean church and how the church of today has become what the church is um, today. And there's so much talk about worship and, you know, what kind of worship and what the music's got to be set like. And you really can't have music. I mean, I mean listen, we're just a failure on all counts in our church when it comes to worship as far as the modern-day church growth expert is. First off, we don't have the right kind of music, according to the you know, church growth experts, which I'll say again wouldn't know God if they met him in the road. Um, but two, we've got the wrong lighting. You know, you've got to paint your church black and get some blue lights. And I'm not knocking that. Friend, I'm just saying, listen, that has absolutely nothing to do with worship. It, it, it may set, listen, it may set a scene emotionally, but worship has nothing to do with your emotions. The greatest act of worship is, is obeying God's Word. Worship, again, friend, in its purest essence, is enjoying the presence of Christ. I want you to listen to me. You'll never enjoy Christ's presence more than when you're being a doer of His Word. That's how you show God you love Him. Not by hands out or hands up or eyes rolled back in your head. It's not telling, friend. Telling's fine, but you tell him by doing. And so Philip is going to show Jesus how much he loves him by being a doer of what he called the church to do. And that's to invite people to see Jesus Christ. And so he's going to go find his friend Nathaniel, and he's going to present Jesus to him. And so he goes and he finds him, verse number 45. Now he, he's going to begin to speak to him. You know, there's this false idea today of lifestyle evangelism. And in part, it's true that, listen, what you share verbally is not going to have full impact if your life doesn't demonstrate a life that's been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so, but there's this thought that, you know, I'll just live the gospel out in front of people. We well, you know that's like your doctor coming in, you know, and, and he's determined what's wrong with you, and then he just kind of starts acting out the cure in front of you. You know, he starts like, you know, like he's unscrewing a bottle, you know, knocking out a few pills, and then, you know, points to his watch, you know, twice a day, and he's like, well, man, that's foolish. You know, why doesn't he just give me a clear prescription and tell me what I need to do in order to be saved? That's exactly right. 
And why do people who claim, you know, that lifestyle evangelism is the same as verbally giving a witness claim that it works? It doesn't, friend. Listen, live out Christ, but the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word God compels us, and Christ demonstrated that he gave a verbal demonstration and a verbal explanation of what it means to be saved. And I'm glad somebody just didn't live out the gospel in front of me and let me just try to guess on how to be saved. I'm glad people cared enough to tell me how to be saved. And so that's what Philip's going to do. He's going to Nathaniel. Look at verse 45. He found Nathaniel and he said to him. And so he engages him with the gospel. Aren't you glad he pushed through all the, the garbage uh, excuses that the devil gives people? Well, you can't witness to your friends. And you know, preacher, you can't witness to your family. Or does the Bible say that? You already know. You've already, listen, one of, the, one of the challenges to evangelism is developing a relationship with somebody. If you know somebody that's lost, and they see you coming, they're like, hey, there's old so-and-so. And then, well, well you've already broken the ice. And so Nathaniel knew Philip. Philip knew Nathaniel, and so he came to him, he found him, he knew that he was lost in his sin, he knew that he needed to experience the Messiah, the rabbi, the king of Israel, the one that God had sent, and so he begins to speak to him, and he presents him with Jesus. Look what the Bible says in verse number 45. He says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, and then he says it, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's interesting, in verse 24, he says, we, not I. He, he begins to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not alone. He said, there are, there are others. Matthew chapter 4, Mark 1, uh, Luke 5, especially in verse number 11, we see our, the, the calling of Andrew, Peter, James, and John. There are others who have already um, been, been called. They were found, and they were called. I, I love uh, Luke 5, verse 11. They forsook all. They forsook all and followed Jesus Christ. So they were found. Jesus found them. He called them. They forsook. And then they, they followed Jesus. And so he's not alone. Jesus is already building his team. And Philip says, listen, we, we, have, we have found him. And there's, there's strength in that. Our, our lesson this morning demonstrated it wasn't a bunch of individuals. Friend. They were already being unified through the Spirit in Jesus Christ. No, the Spirit had not fallen and the church had not been established. But the Holy Spirit was empowering them to do the ministry that they were going to do. And so it, he took a bunch of different individuals, listen, that if you had placed them in a room and, listen, put them in there by themselves, it had been like putting a bunch of cats in a burlap sack and sack, you know, shaking it up. They'd kill each other. Well, that's what all these guys would have done if you'd put them in a room by themselves. But you put them in there Underneath the Lord Jesus Christ, united in the mission that he's called them into, they're one in spirit, they're one in mission, and, and they're, they're one in their speech. They're one in purpose. He says, we, we not I, we, we found, we found him. Verse 45, he says, this is him. They didn't point to the church. They didn't point to the small group. They didn't point to the function. They pointed them to Jesus Christ. And my friend, can I just pause and say that is the need of the day. We've got leaders in Washington, friend, listen, they need to see Jesus Christ. You, you, listen, you find any relationship, any group, any community, friend, that's upside down and broken and it's just been absolutely run amok by Satan's influence, and I promise you, friend, the need is always this, to see Jesus Christ. 
to see Him for who He is, then to receive Him as they turn from sin, and then to follow Him in a life of surrender, obedient to His will and to His Word. We said, man, we've, we've found Him. By love, man, he, he takes Him to the Word. He says, this, this isn't my opinion. He, he's going to let the Bible speak. He says, this is the one that Moses and all of the prophets began to speak about. And so what does that have to do with the Word of God? Well, right down the margin of your Bible, uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse number 31, remember that when Jesus was given that illustration about hell, he told about two individuals, a rich man and Lazarus. Well, Lazarus had faith, the rich man. He was like, sadly, much of the lost people that attached themselves to the church at Laodicea. They didn't need Jesus. They had their riches. But when they died, the riches wouldn't do them any good. And he died and he went to hell. Well, now all of a sudden he's got a burden for his brothers. He says, won't you send to Abraham? Won't, first off, he wanted some, some relief. Can you send Lazarus over here that I can have a, real, a little relief from this fire? Well, then he was burdened about his family. He still had a remembrance. The fire was killing a lot of things, but it wasn't killing his memory. He says, I've got some brothers that don't know Jesus. They're just like me. Can you send Lazarus back to talk to them and to tell them how to be saved? And, and listen, to what, listen to what Abraham says. This is Jesus that's, that's telling this story. He says, but he, these are in red letters. But he said to him, Abraham said to, last, to, to the rich man who's burning in hell, he says, if your brothers that are on earth do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. What was he saying? He says, they've got the word of God, the first five books of the Bible, is the Pentateuch written by Moses, and then all the prophets that follow after. That's all the Bible they had then. He said they've got the Word of God. They didn't, they didn't need a miracle. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so Philip begins to share with Nathaniel and says, Hey, look, we found the one that the, one of God, that the Word of God says is going to come. It's, it's Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse number 44. Jesus says, Now you begin to understand all these things that I taught you that Moses and the prophets wrote concerning me. Don't look at anybody. Have you ever met anybody that says, You know, the Old Testament's just so boring? You know, there's just, it's just not like the Gospels. I, I knew some people in a church that I, I, I once pastored, and they, you know, and they were so trying, but, but they, would, they would say, you know, just give me them. We just like them Gospels. And I thought, well, you've never read them or you wouldn't like them. Just give, just give me them Gospels. Friend, I want to remind you, every passage of Scripture, Jesus is on every page. All the Old Testament points to the cross, the Gospels share the cross, and then everything after the Gospels points back to the cross. It's all about Jesus. And my friend, listen, Two things are wrong. If you don't like the Old Testament, either, friend, listen, you don't have the Spirit of God living within your heart to understand the Old Testament, or, friend, you, you've come to a place you're not obeying what truth you've got, and therefore God's not going to give you more light until you obey the light that you've got. But when you really begin to explore the Old Testament Scriptures, friend, listen, it is amazing. Listen, I, I love those old books that used to have. There was an old book called Looking for Waldo. Where's Waldo? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Little fella, you know, even in summertime, he was always wearing a... I don't know if he had bad hair or what, but he's always wearing a toboggan, a little striped toboggan. And there'd be this busy scene, and then old Waldo, he'd be sticking out behind a tree, going like that. And you had, to, you had to find Waldo. Friend, listen, that's fun to do, far greater than that. Friend, listen, I look to see where, where's Jesus 
on every single page of the Old Testament. All of Moses, all the prophets spoke about him. Isn't it interesting? In Acts chapter 8, one of my favorite evangelistic passages, when, when Philip is preaching to the eunuch, Acts chapter 8 and verse number 34, this eunuch has gone to Jerusalem. He's, he's responded to what light that he has. Romans chapter 1, conscience and creation. He, he acknowledges there's a God. God's going to give him more life. He always does anybody who responds to those, those two forms of light that he's given. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he, buys, he purchases a copy of a scroll of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And he sits down and begins to read it. He doesn't understand what he's reading. Because he doesn't understand the truth of 1 Corinthians 2.14, that natural man receives not things of God, neither can he know them for their foolishness to him. He can't understand them. And so he's reading all this, and he goes, this is talking about a man... But I don't know who it is. And God calls a different Philip away from a, a raving, uh, just a, a fire-burning revival and a great awakening that's taken place and sends him out into a deserted place. And so he sits down beside the eunuch in his chariot. Verse number 34, listen. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say these things? Reading from Isaiah 53. Of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning of the Scriptures, he preached Jesus unto him. From the book of Isaiah, he begins to preach Jesus. He presented Jesus to this eunuch, and listen, Philip goes to Nathaniel, and he simply presents Jesus to him. Listen to me. Those of you that have a hiccup and a hang-up about sharing the gospel, you've got to finally come to grips with this fact. You don't have to come up with something clever and cute to say, just present Jesus as he is in his word. And my friend, Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. That's all you've got to do. And invite people to receive him. That's what Philip is doing. He presented him with Jesus. Number two, don't you notice that now he's perplexed about Jesus. He was presented with Jesus, Nathaniel was, but now he's perplexed. He begins to hear about this, and he's, he's, got, he's got a hiccup. He's got a hang-up. Listen to what the Bible says again in verse number 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Now listen to me. As soon as he said Nazareth, it, it was almost probably like in a movie where you, you hear somebody, like you see a mother who's in a conversation, and she sees somebody on the playground push her child down. And all of a sudden, the mama bear comes out inside of her. And the woman continues to speak, but the director of the movie, it makes it all fade into just blurred words that you can't hear anymore. And all she's focused on is what happens to her child. And she begins to push that person away, and she's going to get her baby who's been knocked down. Any of you have ever seen anything in a, a movie like that before? They just they kind of drowned out everything else the person's saying. Well, that's exactly what happened in the conversation with Nathaniel and Philip. Everything was going great until Philip said the word Nazareth. Because Nathaniel had a hang-up. He had a preset in his mind that there was nothing good that could come out of Nazareth. Uh, the, the Bible continues to say, he, he says can, in verse number 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, John chapter 21, verse number 2, you can put that in the margin of the Bible. Uh, Nathaniel was from Cana. And so maybe they had a, a rival between the towns. But for whatever reason, he thought only trash came out of Nazareth. 
He looked down on everybody and everything. And don't sit there and look so holy this morning. You know there's parts of this community and towns that you probably think the same thing about. Think, well, you know, she's a good person, but you know, she came from over, you know, over there. Well, she went to school at so-and-so. It's amazing where they're at today. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. People do it uh, all the time. They think, well, that's just a bad part of the county, or that's a bad part of that. Well, that's what Nathaniel thought. He don't miss this. He had a preset in his mind concerning Jesus Christ. He believed, listen, he's an Israelite indeed. He believes one day God's going to fulfill his promise. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and all the covenant promises that come after that. He's got faith, he believes. He's looking. That's probably what he was doing under the fig tree. That was their air conditioner. Maybe he was reading his Bible, and he was, he was thinking out there in the shade, the heat of the day. He's thinking, well, I can't wait. John the Baptist is coming. John, there's a whole group of people following John the Baptist, saying, behold the Lamb of God. Man, Surely he's going to come out of Cana. Not a better town than that. Wonder who it is. Wonder if it's my neighbor. Wonder, wonder who he is. And then as soon as he hears Nazareth, whoop, that can't be him. Because he had already determined in his mind who and where he had to come from. Any, don't miss this. Anything that violated that preset would not be accepted. Anything that Philip was going to share that already violated that preset that he'd put in his mind concerning Jesus, it was gone. In his mind, Nazareth was a trashy area, unlike Cana, and therefore only trash could come from Nazareth. And so he was, now he's perplexed. He's confused. Philip has began to present Jesus to him, but now he's got a hang-up. He's got some questions that he, that he does. He's, 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 he's confused. So his presets collided, don't miss this, with the truth of God's Word. The, God's Word's being shared. Listen, this is what Moses and the prophets said, and he's fulfilled it. It's him. But now his presets are colliding with the truth of God's Word and, and concerning Jesus, and he's, he's perplexed. He's, he's got in his mind that absolutely nothing good, no prophet can ever come out of Nazareth. We know there were some, also some authorities in that day that had the same problem. John chapter 7 and verse number 52, these, these officers were sent by the Pharisees to investigate Jesus Christ. And man, they, their heart was touched. Verse 46 of John chapter 7 says, No man ever spake like this man. It says, listen, we've heard a lot of people talk, but there's something different about this man. It's not our emotion. God did something in our heart. We've never heard words come out of an individual like this. And the Pharisees answered him and said, Are you deceived? You're like all these narrow-minded people who are following him. We, we know who the Messiah has to be. We, we've already determined this. And so Nicodemus from John 3, he gets involved in the, in the conversation. But listen to verse number 52, John chapter 7. Then all of the religious elites answered and said unto these authorities that said, This has got to be him, because no man ever spake like this man. They said, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Oh, really? What about Jonah? And what about, what about Nahum? 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, a text that we'll see in a few weeks. It says that Jonah came out of Galilee... The, the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1, identifies him as a prophet who arose out of Galilee. But see, what, what kept Nathaniel's the same thing that kept these individuals from John chapter 7 from truly seeing 
who Jesus was. What kept them from seeing and receiving Jesus was an untruth, listen, that was spread and it was sustained by local culture. You see, their local culture had developed a preset in their mind about Jesus Christ. Stay with me. And so when Philip begins to share the Word of God with him, that collided with this preset. Now he's got to make a choice. Continue to be guided by the preset or admit that that was all garbage and submit himself to the true Word of God. And we see it every day. I'll give you an example. You know, imagine that someone who's been truly saved in our day, God has changed their life, and they begin to be burdened for a neighbor in their neighborhood that they know doesn't know Jesus Christ. And so they decide they're going to go share the gospel with them from God's Word. And they begin to, you know, Luke 13, 3 says, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. They share with them Romans 3, 23. They share with them Romans 6, 23. But they're getting down to the nuts and bolts of the gospel. What's it take to be saved? Well, Jesus says, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, except you repent, you'll, always, you'll likewise perish. We saw that last week in Philip's life, turning from sin to Christ in saving faith. And then they share Romans 10, 9, and 10. The heart believes, the mouth confesses. Tr- confess Jesus to be Lord of your life. As you repent, believe he died, rose again, you receive him to be Lord of your life. So that, that individual shares that with the neighbor. But here's the problem. Now, this is going to be hard for you to believe, okay? You're going to have to really, you're going to have to stretch yourself to get this. Okay, is everybody awake? Some of you don't, this is really going to stretch you. Imagine that the person grows up in a culture where they believe it simply takes belief in Jesus as God's Son and that He died on the cross and then being baptized in the church to be saved. I know that's hard. You've never met anybody like that before, have you? You never ran into him. Friend, that's the good Baptist in the South. All they believe is, you know, just have mental assent that Jesus died and that he rose again and then be baptized and everything's good. But when somebody begins to share with them, no, Jesus says you've got to repent of your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord, L-O-R-D, of your life. Because that's what the Bible says. When they begin to share that with them, wait a second. I grew up here, and all you got to do is believe you know, Jesus died, and I believe that, and I got baptized. I mean, I've been baptized. I can show you my certificate, so I'm good. And so the Word of God begins to be conflicted with a cultural tradition, and people start to be confused. Do you see that? And so, friend, I promise you, if you're living on mission, you have met multiple people like that. Are you sure you've been saved? Well, I'm not really sure. But I remember, you know, I came forward and signed a card, and I, I prayed a prayer, and I got baptized. Have you truly repented and by faith confessed Jesus to be Lord of your life? Well, I mean, but I remember when I got baptized, and so they begin to be confused. Nathaniel, he's got all these, nothing good can come out of Nazareth, so that can't be Jesus. We begin to share with people what the Word of God says, and they're perplexed, they're confused. What's the fix for the problem? Okay, Nathaniel's got a problem. The person you're witnessing to that's confused because of their cultural traditions. They're confused. What's the fix? Well, Philip simply repeated God's words to him. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Look at the fix, verse 46. Look at it. Philip said to him, come and see. I'm pointing you to Jesus Christ. You say you've got a hiccup, you've got a hang-up, come and see. 
for yourself. What was he repeating? Verse number 39, Jesus said, come and see. Just turn them to the Word of God. Listen to me, friend. My job is not to try to convince people to be saved. My job is to present the Word of God and invite people to receive Jesus Christ and respond to His invitation. So I can't answer every hiccup. I can't fix it. Well, they've, just, they've got all these issues. They've got all these problems. Listen, the fix is just to invite people, come and see. And that's third one I want you to notice. He, he processed Jesus. He was presented with Jesus. He was perplexed about Jesus. And now he begins to process the person of Jesus. He's going to go and see for himself. Look what the Bible says in verse number 47. Nathaniel's like, well, all right. So Nathaniel coming toward him. He got up from where he was, and he's going to Jesus, and he's going to investigate for himself. He has this preset in his mind. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Philip's sharing the Word of God. says, no, all Moses and the prophets, it's fulfilled in him. This is the guy. He's already changed my life. He's changed uh, Peter. He's changed Andrew. He's changed, he's changed James and John. They, they, they've all, we've all been changed. I'm telling you. It's the real deal. Come and see. So he decides to go and see. And he was wise to investigate. He was wise to investigate. He responded to the invitation through Philip and Christ to come and see. Psalm 34 and verse number 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's, he's just going to take a taste and see. Now, I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, I want you to listen to everybody on the sound of my voice. Somebody may be listening to this and rebroadcast. If you've, you've, if you've never been saved, you know you really haven't. You say, well, I've got, I've got all these questions, you know, about, about God and, you know, and, and, and the existence and good and evil and sin. I've, I've got all these questions. Well, then, you know what? I simply invite you to come and see. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to God's Word. Quit, listen, quit telling me all your excuses, you know, that you're an atheist and you're agnostic and the Bible's got all these, hic- these problems and the Bible's got all these contradictions. You know, I, I invite you, come and see for yourself. Just come and see. Now, I promise you, if you come and see, I promise, you'll leave with the truth. There's never been anybody that's come to Jesus with the right heart that left without knowing the truth. No one. If, if you have questions, I might just, just come and see. But if you don't come with the right heart, you won't see. And you, we, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, now listen to me. I'm sure, you know, this never happened to you, but it happened in my family um, just last night. Um, we, we tried to get our kids to try new things from time to time. It didn't happen last night. It was the night before. So we tried to get our kids to try new things from time to time. But, you know, if they just make a preset, and I won't say which child, Nick, they, they'll, if they get a preset in their mind, listen to me, that they're not going to like it, it doesn't matter if that dish tastes like vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup on it, they're not going to like it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You had a kid in there and said, That's, that looks gross. Well, first off, after you shame them and say, I'll tell you what, that little kid in China would eat it right now. I guarantee you, you spoiled, rotten brat. And people 50 years ago, the adults ate first, and then the kids ate last. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Now, no, it's kids first and adults last. How did we get to this place? But if they look at it and you say, well, well, just taste it. You've never tasted this before, have you? No, but it looks gross. I know I'm not going to like that. Well, what's the cure? Taste it. But now listen. 
if that child doesn't come to that, that, that dish with an open heart that says, you know what, I really want to know the truth. I really want to see if, if it does taste good. If they don't come to it with that heart, then they're not going to be able to make a right determination. Friend, I promise you, the dish may not be good to their taste buds, but God made every man, friend, for himself and Jesus Christ to be palatable to our taste. God created us for fellowship. And so there's no person who ever comes to God with the right heart that's not going to want to receive him. But if they come with the wrong heart, listen, they've already made up their mind. Oh, I'll look at the Bible. But they come to our and say, but I don't care what inside their mind. I don't care what it says. I'm not going to believe. Because I've got something in my life I'm not going to exchange for him. And that's Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if they come. It doesn't matter. They say, well, I just don't believe. That's a lie. They didn't come. There's not one human being who's ever come to God's Word with an open heart that wanted to receive truth, that went away not believing that it's real. They might not have received Him, but they know it's real because He's truth. He can't be anything but truth. They didn't have a desire for the real truth. So you've got to come with the right heart if you really want to see. Nathaniel really wanted to see. Well, what's that heart going to look like? Well, first off, you have to come scripturally. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. You, you truly have to come see God's word is truth. And whatever it says, it's real. But if you come to God's word and say, well, I mean, I'll look and see, but there's contradictions, and it's just written by men, then you're not going to see. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You have got to believe that the word of God is the word of God. Therefore, there's no error whatsoever in it. There's none. But if you come believing there's errors, friend, you're not going to receive Christ because there's going to be problems in it. He's, he's a liar. So you have to come scripturally. Your heart secondly has to be represented that you're coming sincerely. Write down Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 13, where God through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 13 says this, If you will seek me and, and find me, you will seek me when you seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That means you've got to come sincerely. Any person that comes says, well, I'll look just to get mom off my back. Or I'm just tired of this person sharing the gospel with me. So, I mean, I'll look. No, friend, Nathaniel really wanted to see, is this the one? He truly came with an open heart and says, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something good can come from Nazareth. And I, he sincerely wanted to find Jesus Christ. When you come to see the truth, you've got to come sincerely. You also have to come sorrowfully. Psalm 51, verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. These, oh God, you will not despise. You, you've got to come with a broken heart. You, listen, friend, you can't come and see with some haughty spirit. So I promise you, you know, my idea, my cultural tradition is just as good. No. You've got to come with a, a broken heart that says, I, I really do want to see. If I'm wrong, I want to receive. I, whatever the Bible says, I, I want to receive it. And fourth, you have to come submissively. Uh, John chapter 7 and verse number 17, it, it, the Bible says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Nathaniel, when he, he really wanted to know if this was the one, he, he was going to follow. He says, if, if this is really Jesus Christ, I'll follow him. And anybody that's a skeptic, anyone that has doubts, anyone that says, well, you know, I've just always heard all you had to do is be good and be a member of the church and be baptized and sign the card and that's good enough to go to heaven... 
when you say, well, come and see. Look at what the Bible says. Then they've got to have a heart that says, if that's what the Bible says, then I'm going to do it. If they don't have that kind of heart, I want you to listen to me. They're not going to see. They can come, but they're not really coming to see. They're coming just to get somebody or something or anybody off their back so they can go about their life holding on to their oral tradition. Nathaniel didn't come that way. He really processed Jesus Christ. Look at, look at verse number 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. Many people never see Jesus when they come because, don't you listen to me, they look for Jesus like a crook looks for a cop. Do you hear me? A lot of people never really see Jesus when they come to Jesus because they're not trying to find him, friend. They won't find him. Nobody's going to be Lord over my life but me. They're not going to lay their life at his feet. They don't want to give up their excuses. They just keep holding on to that. When you truly come to Jesus, my friend, sincerely, submissively, with a broken heart, sorrowfully, my friend, you'll, leave, you'll always leave changed. Because you'll look into his perfect law of liberty, my friend, and whom the Son is made free. Praise God, he's free indeed. So if you come, my friend, really wanting to see Jesus, you'll see him. He processed Jesus. Fourth, notice this. He professed Jesus. Look what the Bible says in verse number 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, now listen, he doesn't speak to him. He looks to the others that are with him. He looks at him and he looks at the others and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's, there's, no, there's no deceit. Well, he says three things about it. First off, he speaks about his nationality. He says, hey, here's an Israelite right here. But only that, he speaks about his commitment to being an Israelite, to the Judaic religious faith. He says, indeed, this guy ain't the fence rider. You know, looking, comparing to our text last week from uh, Revelation 3 at the church of Laodicea. He says, he's not lukewarm. He's not a lukewarm Israelite. He's an Israelite indeed. But then he begins to say something about his, his character. He says, in whom there is no deceit. That word literally means cunning deception. Genesis 3, the serpent was more subtle than he beast of the field. It's the Lord God created. Remember, Satan was deceptive. He was cunning. Not that way with Nathaniel. What you saw was what you got. When he spoke to you, that's the way that it was. He wasn't kind of a, a shyster. You know? He didn't flatter people. He told it exactly the way that it was. And so he heard those things. And he's like, you know, he's, he's right on all that. That's, that's really... Me. And so in verse number 48, Nathaniel, he, he, he continues on. He begins to, to engage Jesus' words. And he said to him, how do you know me? I mean, all three of those things are right. How do you, how do you know me? And so Jesus says something to him that only Philip and only Nathaniel and those who were around could have known. He, Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree... I saw you. And his heart stopped. How did he know that? Philip's been with me the whole time. How did, he, how did he know that? That's the power of God. His heart was changed by the Word of God and the power of God. And that's all that it took for Nathaniel. And he, he grabbed hold. Only, only God could know this. And so listen to me. He exchanged, don't miss this, his cultural tradition, whatever his hang-up was, he exchanged that for truth. 
He was invited to come see Jesus. He had to hang up. He was perplexed about Jesus. He's processing all these truths. And now he, he comes and he begins to see. And he says, you know what? Philip's right. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And so he, he begins to make a profession. Look at verse number 49. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Three things that he said in that. Rabbi means master. He says, you're, you're the one. You're not just the rabbi. You're my rabbi. You're my master. He says, now you're going to be Lord of my life. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, you're, you're, you're my master. He says, you're, you're the son of God. What's that mean? You're the mediator. You, you are the picture of what the, all the Old Testament priests were. We couldn't make an offering. We couldn't go to God. We couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. The high priest had to do it for us. You're our high priest. He says, you're, you're the way to heaven. You're the mediator. He says, and you're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one that would come, not to be our political ruler, but to be a ruler of men's lives. You are the Messiah. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Friend, listen. He was saved just like you and I through faith. He had faith in Christ's word about himself. He exchanged his cultural hiccups and hang-ups, all his confusion. He exchanged all, listen, all that religion. For years, Nathaniel had been a man who was pursuing after God. And now, all of a sudden, God's pursuing Nathaniel. And he turns and he receives Jesus to be Lord of his life. That's the difference, friend. One of the differences between Christianity and every other religion is this. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between man and God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had faith that Jesus was all of these things. And he turned and he professed it so for him. For him. He couldn't do it for anybody else, but he did it. For him. And I love these next two verses, and we could spend a lot of time developing these, but for the sake of time this morning, we will not. So, verse 50, Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you, do you believe? Do you have faith? It was. He had faith in his word. He says, You'll see greater things than these. Greater miracles that are going to take place than these. And he said to him, well, I love this. I mean, he begins to, to bear out, says, you know, Moses and the prophets, he said, look, I, Genesis 28, I am Jacob's ladder. He said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Listen, friend, it wasn't the Judaic religious faith that people walked into heaven. It was Jesus Christ. He bridged the gap. Isaiah 59, 2, your sin has separated you from God and Christ came, Philippians 2, to this sin-cursed earth to make a way that man can experience God's love, God's forgiveness, and have fellowship. He's the latter. He's the way to heaven. And so he gave him this beautiful, beautiful illustration. Well, I close with this story. There's a lot of books that I've enjoyed reading um, since I learned to read uh, when I was a young boy. But in 1961, uh, there was a man that wrote a book called Where the Red Fern Grows. I bet everybody in here, most, if, if you grew up in the 80s, you probably read it in the fifth grade or had to. Um, but I remember reading it and then cried my eyes out at the end of it. I won't, won't be a spoiler, okay, in case you never read it. Uh, but it has a terrible, sad ending. Um, but anyway, it's about a little boy who saved up his money to buy him two, two coon dogs. And uh, he saved it to get these two, two red bones. And he named them Old Dan and Little Ann. But when they were puppies, 
He had to train them. And, and Billy was the boy's name. Well, Billy's grandpa is the one that helped him with all of this. He owned a, a general store. And uh, Billy's grandpa says, you know, we've, we've got to get you... A, now, some of you animal lovers in here, you may not like this, um, but they, they had to get a, a dead raccoon to get a pelt to be able to train um, the dogs. And he says, I remember an old-fashioned trap, his granddad said. Now, follow me on this. He says, now, what we're going to do is we're going to get an old bracing bit. That's nothing more than a drill bit. And we're going to go out and find us a log. He says, and we're going to get about, an, you know, about a three-quarter inch bit. And we're going to drill a hole down into that log a couple inches deep. This is, this is what Grandpa's trap was that he remembered. He says, and then we're going to get some horseshoe nails, about seven or eight of them. He says, but then we're going to find a little piece of a, of a, 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 a pie tin, something shiny. And we're going to cut it small enough to fit down inside that hole. And then we're going to put some horseshoe nails down at an angle to make kind of a cone. He says, because there's something in the nature of a raccoon that when they get a hold of something shiny, they want to grab it and they want to hold on to it. And they'll never let it go because they think it's a value. And so along comes this little raccoon. He looks down in the hole. He sees this little shiny thing. He sticks his hands down through the nails. It's loose. And then when he makes a fist, though, he can't get it back through the nails. And he's stuck there. And I won't tell you the, the last part. It, well, Billy comes along with the club, and he bashes the, the raccoon's brains out, and he gets the raccoon. Here's the point of the story. The raccoon's holding on to this little piece of tin. Everybody got that? All the raccoon has to do to experience life is let go of what he thinks valuable, and his little paw will come right out of the trap, and he can run to safety. But as Billy's coming with the big old stick to bash his brains in, he knows death's certain. It's coming. When he feels the stick, he knows, you know, this isn't good. All I've got to do is let go of this worthless piece of pie tin, and I can experience life. But he doesn't. He holds on to what he thinks is valuable, and he gives his life for his mistake. I want you to listen to me. Hell's going to be full of people that held on to worthless doctrine untruths when the Bible told them let go of that which is worthless and grab hold on that which is real and it's the Lord Jesus Christ if you're here this morning you've never been saved I don't know what you're holding on to you may be listening later I'm looking right at you in a rebroadcast you may be holding on to something that you will not let go of I promise you friend it's going to take you to hell let go of whatever is worthless and grab on this morning by faith like Nathaniel did to that which is real. And Jesus Christ will take you from where you are. He'll save your soul and you'll experience even greater miracles than hearing the gospel this morning. You won't experience one greater than being saved. But God will do great and wonderful things with your life. But it begins by you letting go of that which is worthless and that's religion and grabbing hold of that which is real. And it's Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. What are you holding on to this morning? If you don't have a hold of Jesus, friend, as he presents himself, then you're lost in sin today. If you'll only turn and you'll only trust him to be Lord of your life, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Won't you do that right now? You say, I've just got some hiccups and some hang-ups. I invite you to come and see. Stop telling Stop telling God what all your problems are, friend, and come and see. Come with the right heart, really wanting to know the truth. And I promise, if you come, you'll leave a changed person. You may not receive it, 
but you'll know it's real. I invite you this morning to grab hold of truth and let go of error. You say, I'm ready to do that. Then tell him so. The Bible says, if you'll simply just choose to turn and confess him to be Lord of your life this morning, he will save your soul. Tell him so right now, silently where you sit. Pray this prayer. But listen, you've got to mean it with all your heart. The prayer represents your decision, just like Nathaniel's, to confess Jesus, Lord of your life. Tell him so where you sit, just like this. Pray and say, God, forgive me a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I turn from it today. I'm letting go of my old life, worthless, nothing worth holding on to. I'm letting go of it. And I turn to you in saving faith. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. I believe you're sitting in heaven hearing my prayer. And I'm responding to your invitation. I want you to be Lord of my life. Come be Lord of my life. Now make me into the person you want me to be. That's my prayer this morning. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? I invite you to make your way forward. And they begin to sing. And I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. You say, well, I, I just, I still, I just don't think there's anything good that can come out of Jesus. Well, I'm going to stand right here at the front. And my invitation to you this morning is this. Come and see. I want to open God's Word. And I want to show you, friend, how wrong you are. There's nothing and there's no one friend that's better than being saved and to experience the person of salvation and that's Jesus Christ. I invite you to come and see. Church family listen to me this morning. What if Philip hadn't gone? What if Philip hadn't gone? Would Nathaniel have ever responded? What if no one else took the time to tell him? He'd have died in his error. Who do you know just like Nathaniel today that's a good person but they're good and lost. Won't you be like Philip and just go to them and say, look, I've found him. I've found him. Come and see. And it may make an eternal difference in their life. Father, your will be done in every heart in life. Challenge your church. Give us boldness in these days, God, to simply invite people to come and see. Be Lord of this invitation. I pray, God, the devil have no influence over any heart, over any life, but every one of us will respond to the will of God. It's in his name we pray. Let's reverently stand to our feet.